The Infertility Podcast is a place of inspiration for every season in life, a resource where listeners can be encouraged to push past obstacles and be motivated by individual stories. The premise of infertility is understanding the season you are in and realizing that there are strategies that can be implemented to enjoy a fertile season. Now on with the show. Welcome to another episode of the Infertility Podcast. This episode, we will focus on reproductive health, mental health, and the importance of dealing with trauma. And I am so excited um, because I have a a special guest um, for this episode, Natasha. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you for having me. (laughs) <laughs> so before we get started, uh, Natasha, can you provide some information about who you are, um, what you do, any personal or professional highlights that you want us to know before we kind of delve into the questions for this episode? Okay. Well, thanks again, Danielle, for having me. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a marriage and family therapist. I specialize in maternal and reproductive mental health. What that basically means is that I work with women who struggle with infertility as well as pregnancy and postpartum uh, related issues, uh, birth trauma, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, um, which most of us know about postpartum depression. That's one of uh, the perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. Um, And so that's kind of um, my area of specialty. And that really, I, I don't know if I should go into like why I specialize in or, or how it came about, um, but, uh, or, or I think that's like later on, but um, <laughs> I, I've specialized in this for the last two years uh, since 2018. And I guess I'll get into why and how this all started, but it's been two years of me specializing in um, maternal mental health and Prior to specializing in this, um, I have just worked with all different other populations over the course of eight years as a therapist. Awesome. And I love the fact that you specialize in this area um, because there are not that many um, therapists out there that that is their main focus. Um, I've spoken about this in previous episodes that Woody and I uh, did seek out a therapist um, specializing in fertility, and there was just like one in our area, basically. Um, so it's not something that was, you know, common, even though, you know, all therapists kind of like, you know, can help you through it. But we wanted mm-hmm. to get someone who kind of specializes in it. Um, Mm -hmm. to help us on this journey. So Mm -hmm. thank you so much for telling us about yourself. And like you said, we were going to get into this, but one of the um, reasons uh, that I sought you out, um, Natasha and I, we went to USF together. We went to college together. So we've known each other for Mm -hmm. a little while. And Mm -hmm. I have been following you and following your work and your your page and all the content that you're putting out and my first question is what drew you to become an advocate for reproductive health and more specifically black mental health maternal health and just overall this journey of you know infertility to uh to being pregnant uh birth trauma you named that and then mm-hmm. after that women experiencing postpartum why this area as your area of focus 
Um, well, this is this is definitely personal for me. Um, like I said, I started this two years ago, but uh, my journey began in 2012. And that is uh, that year I experienced, and this was a year after um, I, my husband and I got married, I experienced an ectopic pregnancy. Wow. And um, of course that was unexpected. Um, and we kind of just tried to like move on, you know, and not really put much thought into it. Um, because we, you know, we kind of, we weren't really planning for a baby. So it was one of those things where it's like, oh my gosh, this is like devastating. Um, but hopefully when the time comes again, everything will go smoothly. And so, um, that wasn't the case. Um, so I experienced an ectopic pregnancy in 2012. Um, when I got pregnant again, I definitely had a lot of anxiety and every little ache and pain, I thought that it was another ectopic pregnancy. Mm -hmm. I ended up giving birth to my six-year-old son. Um, and a year after, a, a year later, um, after he was born, I had two back-to-back -back miscarriages. Wow. Um, and, and I, and, and, and at this time we were actively trying. So I was, um, I felt numb. I, I think I felt numb because I just didn't know how to feel. No one had ever talked to me about pregnancy laws. Mm -hmm. um, no one had ever talked to me about just, you know, what happens to you on a, a mental level, you know, mental, emotional level, what, what, what happens when you lose, um, when you lose a baby, whether it's through miscarriage or um, ectopic or uh, further on, you know, in the, in the, in your pregnancy. And so, um, I knew I was sad, but then there were also moments where I just kind of felt numb and I didn't know how to talk about it. Um, and so uh, after, after going through that, I finally gave birth uh, in 2016 to my now three and a half year old son and the pregnancy, everything went well. However, when it came down to delivering him, everything just kind of took a turn for the worse, wow. <laughs> right? Um, you know, here I am like, okay, well, you know, my first son's, uh, pregnancy and delivery went great. You know, it was all natural. And I basically told the nurses that I didn't want, um, Pitocin. like, you know, I just kind of was more in control of that experience. And so when I, uh, went to the hospital with him, it was just very different from the beginning. You know, the, the pain level was very high. Mm -hmm. Um, my nurses weren't really listening to me. You know, I was telling them that I can't lay down on my back. I need to get on all fours. You know, I'm trying to advocate for myself because I know how important that is. And, um, I recall a nurse saying to me, Oh, you've been through this before with another baby. So you'll be fine. Just very dismissive of mm -hmm. what I was going through. And so when it finally came time for me to get an epidural, um, my doctor checked me and she realized that I was already 10 centimeters dilated. Yikes. And so I literally went through that entire experience with no medication at all. And, and, and in the moment, of course, I'm in a lot of pain, but of course, you know, after the fact, I was like, you know, had they listened to me, I would have been able to get the medication that I needed. And I, you know, I, I think that they kind of looked at me as being dramatic, mm -hmm. um, this is just something that a lot of other black women and, and black mothers experience. And I'll get into that. And so to make a long story short, um, my doctor also found out that, or, or yeah, she, when she checked me and realized I was 10 centimeters dilated, she realized that he had also turned and that he had also ingested meconium, which 
means that he pooped like inside of me. And so everything just kind of happened so fast. You know, she rushed me to have an emergency C-section. Um, and it took forever for him to come out of me because he was so far down in the birth canal. Wow. Um, and so they gave me so much anesthesia to just knock me out. And again, to make a long story short, that resulted in him being rushed to NICU without me being able to just see him and hold him. That also resulted in me not being able to walk because they gave me so much anesthesia that I went about three weeks without being able to walk well. Wow. Yes. And so that experience was extremely traumatic. However, once again, I did not know um, how to even talk about that. So mm -hmm. my mindset was, especially being Christian, um, is that, okay, well, my baby is alive, so I should consider that a blessing and I will silence myself and not talk about it. Mm -hmm. You know, and so after that experience, um, I realized, you know, being a therapist that something was off. Um, I was extremely anxious that something was going to happen to him. Um, and I would just wake up all time of night, just checking him. I wasn't sleeping well. Um, it, it, it was just very different from my previous experience. And so I said, you know what? I need to get help. Like something's not right. I need to get help because this is bigger than me. Yeah. Um, and when I went to look or seek help, like you had said earlier, there was nothing in my area, you know, support groups, um, a therapist who specialized, cause I was looking for someone who like specifically specialized in like trauma and just things like that. And, um, this is before I even really knew about maternal mental health. I was just looking for someone who specialized in trauma and I couldn't find that. And I also was looking for a black therapist, if I'm being honest, because yes. you know, I just wanted representation matters to me. And so I just wanted someone who kind of looked like me um, to help and guide me. And I couldn't find that. And I saw that as a problem. And shortly after that, I started doing research and I um, began to see the different trainings and accreditations and just different things like that. And I started that journey um, about a year after my son was born. Yeah, a year after he was, a year and a half after he was born, I started that journey when I was, you know, mentally and emotionally at a place to do well, so. Yeah. Um, I started that journey and um, I, you know, started getting trainings in maternal mental health and, you know, 2018 is, is when I started working with uh, this specific population. Sorry for the long-winded answer. No, you're fine. And then now you also have a daughter after all of this too. Yes. And now yes. I have a daughter after all of this, um, yes. uh, two years old. So um, her experience again was just very different because I was aware I was in tune with my emotions. Mm -hmm. I was able to um, express myself, you know, if I felt sad, angry, whatever, you know, that definitely makes a difference. Um, and so, yeah, her experience was just, you know, totally different, totally different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's amazing to, um, you know, see what is posted on social media and not know the backstory of all that happened. You know, I didn't mm -hmm. know you had multiple um, miscarriages and, mm -hmm. you know, such a traumatic experience um, while giving birth. And I think that's something that we don't talk about often is that even if you have a pretty good um experience pregnancy wise because mm -hmm. I've had you know friends and family who have gone through pregnancy and 
you know, have come out with, you know, no real issues, but it's still a traumatic event. You know what I mean? Because Mm -hmm. the anticipation leading up to the event is like all, you have all sorts of emotions. And Mm -hmm. then the um, postpartum process um, can Mm -hmm. also, you know, have some uh, challenges and, and and bring about certain emotions that you didn't think you would experience. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm glad we're going to be able to, to get into that. Um, for this episode. So we talked about trauma because um, of uh, everything that you experienced, we can categorize that definitely as trauma. So I wanted to first define trauma um, so that we're all on the same page. And it is a deeply distressing or disturbing event um, mm-hmm. or experience. And that is definitely what you just explained um, in the earlier question. And one thing mm-hmm. that you posted, I think maybe two or three weeks ago, um, and I'm going to read it because it's very, very important. Um, and it says it was trauma, even if you think it was trauma, but people told you it wasn't. So going back to that mentality, hey, I'm a Christian, my, my child is still here. Uh, there's other mm-hmm. people who may have gone through what I went through and they, their child didn't survive, but my child survived. So I should be grateful. Um, mm-hmm. So you go through that process of, oh, well, people wouldn't think it's trauma. But if you mm-hmm. feel it's trauma, it's trauma. Exactly. Um, the other bullet point is it felt like trauma, but sometimes you doubt that it was quote unquote that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, it seemed traumatic at the time, but now you wonder if you made it all up, if you made it up. Mm-hmm. Um, someone told you that you made it up. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last one is you didn't think it was trauma at the time, but now you see how much it hurt you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so- so what are some areas of trauma that you have assisted women um, through in relation to re- reproductive health? Um, I mean, a, a birth trauma definitely uh, being, being a big one, um, as well as, um, you know, infant loss, you know, um, like SIDS and just different, yeah. you know, those, those sorts of um, things, you know, if, if the mom is there and, um, she goes to her baby's bassinet or crib and the baby doesn't wake up, you know, that's extremely, you know, traumatic, traumatic yeah. uh, as, well, as well as sexual trauma. Uh, and it's not something that we, again, we don't talk about it often. Um, but a lot of times what, what I found in my practice is that, um, when, when women have experienced any form of sexual trauma in the past, whether it was molestation, being raped, um, or anything of the sort, and they've, either work through it or maybe have not worked through it or they basically maybe forgotten about it, right? They've gotten married and, and now they're now they're pregnant. The labor and delivery process and experience can almost remind them of that same sexual trauma, right? You have nurses and doctors sticking their fingers in their hands and your vagina. And, and a lot of times they don't ask, you know, and, and that's a whole other... <laughs> Yeah, that I, you know, I definitely talk to, you know, I talk about with my pregnant clients um, is, you know, being able to speak up and advocate for yourself and things like that. But, you know, that experience is very similar to, um, to being in a, a, um, a sexually traumatic, you know, experience. And so um, that kind of brings them back to it. It's very triggering. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, they kind of, you know, when you think of someone who experiences trauma, they either 
fight, they flight, or they freeze, right? And so I've had moms tell me, I honestly don't even know like what happened during my labor and delivery because they literally froze in that moment, wow. right? They knew that they needed to get the baby out. So they just allowed the doctors and the nurses to touch and do whatever it is that they um, you know, needed to do, but they don't recall the entire experience. So then there's, there's the, the guilt that of uh, the guilt of not being able to remember an experience that's supposed to be beautiful. Right. Mm. And so, um, so yeah, so, I mean, to answer your question, definitely birth trauma, um, sex, past sexual, um, trauma, as well as, you know, just the, the trauma of like losing a newborn or an, or an infant. Yes, definitely. Those are the main ones. Um, so I've asked this question before in, in previous episodes with um, advocates for mental health awareness, and I wanted your take on it, on the fact that mental health is such a taboo subject, really like similar to infertility. Um, infertility, I, I feel, is a, definitely a taboo subject, but mm -hmm. mental health is um, in that category as well. And why do you believe that is? Why do you believe uh, mental health is a taboo subject. Um, I think it's a taboo subject because um, people lack education on mm -hmm. mental health. Um, I also know that there's a, you know, depending on what culture culture you're from, um, that is a huge factor. You know, if you're uh, from the, the islands, if you have a Caribbean background, you know, um, being Haitian American, yes. you know, we know that mental health is not something that's talked about if you're fed and you have a roof over your head that's all you need that's all you need that's all you need and you need to be happy you don't need to complain you don't need to voice your opinion or how you feel because you need to be happy <laughs> right, right. So, so definitely culture culture lack of education um and and you know, I mean, religion is also a culture in itself as well, but definitely just religion, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, those of us who are Christian, we know firsthand <laughs> that um, we ought to have faith in God and we ought to be believers, you know, that he is a miracle worker and, and all these amazing things that we already know. But there's definitely that, that, that fine line because, you know, just because I have faith and I have a relationship with God and I know that he can pull me out of certain situations doesn't mean that I don't have mental health issues. Right. Mm -hmm. And that I'm not stressed and that I'm just not human and dealing with life. Um, and so, you know, religion is definitely another component. I think those are probably like the, the top three. Um, and I, and, and having platforms such as this, where you are able to talk about mental health and just normalize it, um, definitely reduces that stigma. And the more it happens, the more awareness is brought to it and the less likely people are, you know, going to make it a taboo and make it seem as though you have to be crazy in order to get, you know, that professional support. Definitely. You touched on some really salient points and one of them being, you know, Christianity, you know, um, mm -hmm. you know, we all have faith, we all believe and we all, um, you know, have our relationship with Christ. However, there becomes a dissonance with what you're praying for, what you seek or what the, the picture that you painted and then the mm -hmm. reality of what you're facing and that dissonance. Mm -hmm. Um, is sometimes very overwhelming to deal with. 
Um, mm -hmm. And so I think it's it's very important that we keep that conversation going about mental health. And like you said, um, normalizing it uh, and using our platforms to normalize uh, mental health and mental health mm -hmm. awareness. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So the death rate for women of color is higher than any other race as it uh, relates to um, pregnancy um, and just black mater maternal health. So mm -hmm. um, as women become pregnant, because um, I have some listeners who, you know, may have been going through an, an infertility journey, but are they now find themselves blessed and they're pregnant. Um, what are some ways or some tips that you have that they can advocate for themselves through this process of um, pregnancy? Through yes. Mm -hmm. um, there's definitely uh, several ways, you know, of advocating. Um, and and I, I also want to mention that um, um, doulas are yeah. amazing support. They are, you know, an amazing asset to any pregnant, um, pregnant woman. Um, and, you know, if anyone were to ever, if, if anyone were to ever ask me, I would definitely say do it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know sometimes a lot of times women, um, pregnant women will say, Oh my gosh, but I can't afford it. Well, what a lot of insurance companies don't tell you, especially with like Medicaid, Medicaid covers doulas. Wow. Um, but you wouldn't know that because they're not giving you that information. They're not telling you that. Right. Yes. So if you're, if you're able to get a doula, um, I, I think that's amazing because there's just certain things that, especially when you're in that labor and delivery room, um, that you just don't have the energy to deal with, or you don't have the energy to like, you know, want to bring up, um, that, that advocate, your doula will be able to just kind of like speak on your behalf. Mm -hmm. Um, one, one thing that I also think is, uh, important to do is, if um, you can write out, like you can write out your plan, right? So most times than not, um, when a woman gets pregnant, she kind of has an idea and it may change, you know, throughout the course of the pregnancy, um, but she has an idea of what she would like her pregnancy um, or her labor and delivery to look like. If she wants it to be at a hospital, she wants it to be at a birthing, birthing center or at home and just different things like that. And, and so, you know, when you get to the latter part of your pregnancy, maybe writing some of those things down mm -hmm. so that you can have that discussion with your, um, your OBGYN. That was something that I did. You know, I made a list. Um, like I mentioned earlier, um, when I said with my first son, I, you know, I, I, I didn't want Pitocin and I didn't want a few other things. You know, I wanted to kind of labor just walking back and forth in the hospital. So I had that discussion, um, with my, my OBGYN, um, during my eighth month. And, um, she was able to tell me, yes, we can do this. And there were other things she was like, well, no, we can't do that because this isn't a birthing center and we're okay. going to be at a hospital. So we were able to have that dialogue. And that is a form of, um, you know, speaking up for yourself because that's what you want. Um, being able to have, you know, that conversation with your doctor and just understanding that just because your doctor is a physician, you know, a, a medical doctor doesn't mean that they get to dictate what you want your labor and delivery to look like, right. you know, you are in control of that. Of course, if medical, if, you know, if, if unforeseen things come up, then they have to do what they have to do, right. To get the baby out and make sure that you're healthy and the baby is healthy. However, aside from that, um, just understanding that, you know, if I want my birthing process to look like this, I'm going to write it down. I'm going to have a conversation with my doctor to see, you know, if 
if this can happen. Um, and I'm a huge advocate also on interviewing, you know, your OBGYN before you even choose it, mm. choose him or her, you know, just because they accept your insurance doesn't mean that you need to go with them. You know, I've had clients who have had awful experiences with the doctors because, you know, that particular doctor just believes that, you know, whatever they say is what's going to happen and, and what should happen. Um, so maybe even interviewing the, your, your, your doctor to make sure that, or, or interviewing doctors to make sure that that person is a good fit for you. It's the same thing with therapy, right? Yes, I mean, we offer, I offer free consultations because I want to make sure that we're a good fit. I may think that I'm an amazing therapist, but that doesn't mean I can help everybody. Right. <laughs> I can help everybody, you know, um, or, or that we're going to be able to work well together because what you're looking for may not be what I can offer. And so, um, you know, that's also important as well as just, you know, interviewing the doctor um, because you'll know off the bat if, if that doctor is going to allow you to be able to use your voice and, and, and speak up for yourself versus a doctor who's kind of like, nope, we can't do that. Nope, that's not happening. Nope. You know, and shutting everything that yes, you have all to your say ideas down. down. Got it. Yeah. Yes. Very good tips. Thank you for that. Um, a topic that is not heavily discussed is postpartum depression. And so I have a twofold um, question for you. Um, the first one being how can a woman know she is suffering with postpartum depression. Um, women that I've known that have experienced it at first, they just thought, you know, it's the quote unquote baby blues and other things. Um, how can they tell, okay, this is postpartum depression? Okay. Um, so the, the difference between postpartum depression and baby blues, it's it, there again, there's kind of like that fine line because the, the symptoms are very similar. But the way that we're able to make the distinction between the two is, is um, how long this, uh, the mom has been experiencing those, those symptoms. So if, um, so the experiences, um, the experiences, the symptoms <laughs> um, are um, feeling guilt, hopelessness, sadness, you know, a lot of crying, um, loss of interest in the things that um, she normally, you know, liked to do, so, you know, certain TV shows that she enjoyed watching. Now she doesn't enjoy watching those shows. A lot of fatigue, um, loss of appetite, um, weight gain or weight loss, um, and not like, okay, two pounds, three pounds, four pounds, like a drastic like weight loss or drastic weight gain. Um, those are anger as well. Um, and so those are kind of um, what postpartum depression looks like, right? But 80% of moms experience some of those symptoms after having a baby. And so the first two weeks of experiencing those symptoms are what is called postpartum blues or baby blues. Mm -hmm. So if a mom calls or, or goes to her doctor or calls me, you know, and says, Hey, this, this, this is what I'm experiencing. And I, you know, my first question is, Oh, how old is the baby? And if the mom says, Oh, six days old, of course we want to monitor that. However, it, it's still, uh, we want to monitor that because it's still, uh, it's, it's, it's common 80% of women and it's uh, uh, considered normal um, because your body has gone through so many changes and just yes. different things like that. You're not sleeping, you know, um, you're not Hormones. eating the Yes, you know, so many different things. Um, however, it's still something that we would want to monitor. So then I, you know, would want to like follow up or the doctor would probably want to follow up. If a mom is experiencing this longer than two to three weeks, 
then we would give that diagnosis of postpartum um, depression. And, you know, uh, and post with postpartum depression, um, I definitely want to, you know, um, stress the importance of black women, black mothers getting that help and, and, and recognizing what it is because, and, and, and why, and I think you mentioned this, the, 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 the rates, you know, it's, is different, you know, with white women, it's one in seven. We are one in three. Wow. Also less likely to get the treatment that we need. And that's because we don't, you know, lack of education, lack of resources, just so many different, you know, um, you know, just the systemic and, um, you know, racism and just all of those things that contribute to black mothers not getting the support and the help that they need. Um, and so it's very important for us to just be uh, aware of that because, um, we're suffering from this at, at higher numbers, um, but we're not getting the support and the help um, that we need. And unfortunately, sometimes it's not until it's too late. Mm-hmm. You know, I've gotten calls from spouses who have said, I wish I knew about you um, because my wife committed suicide. Right. Wow. And so it's, it's so unfortunate. Um, and I can't stress how important it is to even if you don't think you have postpartum depression, but you feel like you're something's not right and something is off just you know calling and speaking with the therapist just as a check-in the same way that we do when we go to um you know to our physicians right Mm -hmm. we go and we get more checkups not because something is wrong but because we just want to make sure that we're we're good we don't have high blood pressure we're not diabetic we're we don't you know we're not cholesterol's not high our iron isn't low, right? So it's 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 very um it's very similar to that, you know, just checking in to see and the therapist will do his or her own assessment and determine whether or not you you know you need this every week or if you could just check in once a month, you know. Um but it, it's 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 just important for us to do that. Um yeah. because it's definitely needed. Definitely. And so the second part of my question is, as a friend or family member, how mm-hmm. can we, you know, pick up the signs the symptoms, you, you kind of went over some of them. Um, but also, mm-hmm. how can we be of support um, to a mother who is going through this season of, you know, postpartum depression? Mm-hmm. Um, de- you know, be- just being there for her. Mm-hmm. Being there for her and, and, and making it a point to ask her what is it that she needs from you, right? Because, you know, when we talk about support, a lot of times um, everyone's idea of support is different, right? Yes. So if you just had a baby, I may think, okay, let me go drop off some food because that's going to help her. Yes, that is helpful because you don't have to cook, but you may just need me to sit on the couch with you for 15 minutes because you're having intrusive, scary thoughts and you don't want to do anything crazy, right? Mm-hmm. So. It's very important to ask that, that that family member, that relative, that friend, that coworker, how can I support you? And allow them to, and they may not know. They may say, I don't know. And that's okay. And then you guys can explore, you know, um, you know, ways of being able to support them. But always ask them and allow them to give you the answer because they may have a very different idea of what support looks like. Um, and so you dropping off food to them is yeah, a little helpful, but it may not be the support that they need, which then means that they are still feeling the same way that they were feeling, you know, before you dropped off the food. So um, they might need you you to come over to, to relieve them and allow them to take a nap. (laughs) 
Exactly. Hold the baby for 30 minutes. So, you know, moms, you know, after having a baby, a lot of moms take a shower like two to three days a week, yes. you know, and that's very different from being able to take a shower, one Whatever. or two showers every day, you know, very, very, very different. Um, so yeah, like you said, it may just be that she doesn't care about the food and she may want you to, she may want you to hold the baby for 30 minutes while she lays down, um, and just kind of has, uh, a moment. Um, so it's very important to, <laughs> I love it. Parenting at its best. This is firsthand parenting. One second. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, guys. My okay. was excited that he saw a frog. Oh, so. goodness. <laughs> I love it. Love it, love it, love it. Okay. So, um, what would you say to a woman who may be on the fence um, to seek out the help? You know, they may feel like, okay, I'm going to get through this. This is just kind of the process. You know, speak to that woman that is on the fence of seeking professional help. Mm -hmm. um, I, would, I would definitely say that there is so much power in talking about your feelings um, and talking about how you feel and getting help or getting support does not mean that you're not strong does not mean that you're not a great mom it that's not a sign of weakness um as a matter of fact that's that's a sign of um just you wanting to be a better person a better mom a better you know if you're a wife or a girlfriend or whatever you know um that's just and that would just be an additional step in terms of you being able to take care of yourself and take care of your family and your career and just different things like that. So I would, I would definitely emphasize um, the fact that there is a lot of power in being able to talk about what you're going through, what your feelings are, what your thoughts are. Even if you feel like I am able to manage my emotions well, um, I have a, a bunch of friends that I can talk to. I have a bunch of family members that I can talk because I've, I've heard that a lot that, oh, but I have, you know, 15 cousins and I have four <laughs> best friends. And, and while that is amazing, right, because having a support system is so needed, especially during this time of, um, you know, us, of us being in a pandemic, that's great. It's also very different because the reality is family and friends, because they know you, they know your capabilities, they know your strengths, they know your weaknesses. It's easy for them to have biases. They are going to have biases, right? And if you say something that doesn't align with who they think you are, they're going to tell you, uh-uh, no, that doesn't work. And that's not what a therapist does, <laughs> you know? Right. You know? You know, there's no judgment. There's no judgment. It's a safe space. You're able to say whatever it is that you want to say without feeling like, oh my gosh, if I say that, is she going to look at me like a horrible person or mm -hmm. a horrible or a horrible, you know? Um, so definitely, you know, there's power, there's power in talking. And it, and like I said earlier, you know, it does not hurt to just do a check-in. You know, mm -hmm. you can just call it a check-in. It doesn't have to be a, pro, you know, a long-term um, treatment, you know, where I, you have to see a therapist for six months or a year or five years, it could literally be, okay, well, I just want to check in to make sure that, um, I am just, you know, 
managing this crisis that we're in right now. I'm managing motherhood, being a wife, working, just different things like that. Like I'm, I'm managing that because you can think that you're managing it well, but other people may be looking at you like, uh, yeah, you probably should have went to a therapist yesterday. You yeah. know? <laughs> Yes. So, so just you know, just getting just getting that additional support and that additional guidance is um it, it doesn't hurt. It definitely doesn't hurt. Definitely. Thank you for that. So our final question. Um, I have said this on the podcast um a couple of times. This stat that one mm -hmm. in eight women struggle to get pregnant. One in mm. four have lost a baby. So yes. as many of my listeners are trying to conceive. What are mm -hmm. some words of um, advice that you would give to them during that, during this process? And I know you have your own story, your own journey of mm -hmm. um, going through this. So what would be your words of advice as we close? Mm -hmm. My words of advice would really be to, as difficult as it is and it di as difficult as it may seem, is to make sure you take care of yourself during this process. Um, stress. The, just just the idea of um, struggling with infertility and not being able to um, conceive you know when you want it to happen and and how you want it to happen it causes a lot of stress on your body mm -hmm. so even if you think that you're managing well and you're handling it well that may not necessarily be the case right and so it's so important to take care of yourself practice self-care you know journal i'm a huge advocate on journaling i am a huge, i'm a huge advocate on um deep breathing you know meditation type of um of exercises i'm just a huge advocate of those things because they help and they work they reduce your anxiety they keep you grounded they keep mm -hmm. you in and you know in that moment so that you're not you know thinking of what's going to happen in a month, you know, am I going to get that plus sign, you know, on uh, the pregnancy test in a month? Am I going to be able to um, take the maternity pictures in November because I want it to be in that specific month? You know, mm -hmm. all these things that we ruminate on and we think about and we literally, because I was that person, you know, I lost sleep thinking about, you know, when I wanted to have my baby and how I wanted to have my baby. And I didn't want to be over the age of 30, whatever years old. I didn't, you know, you lose sleep thinking about those things. And so the missing piece in that is definitely, you know, not really taking care of yourself in that process. And that in itself could affect, um, uh, can be a negative impact on infertility, you know, on, on the fertility journal journey. So definitely taking care of yourself and also knowing that you're not alone. Yeah. You know, a lot of women um, who are going through this believe that they're alone. I thought I was alone, mm -hmm. right? I didn't know any support groups. And so if I knew what I knew, if, if I knew then what I know now, um, I would definitely join some support groups, um, virtual support groups, of course, now. But, you know, definitely join um, some support groups if, you're, if, if you can, because um, just knowing that you're not going through this by yourself and that there's so many other women who are going through the exact same thing helps. Yeah. It, you know, it helps you. Um, and it, it also helps you to be able to just use your voice in terms of what your struggles are in this journey. So definitely getting support, even if that means, you know, um, a free virtual support group. And there's several out there that I've given, um, to my clients as well as taking care of yourself during this time, during this journey. 
uh, whatever self-care looks like to you, whatever taking care of yourself looks like to you. And if you don't know how to take care of yourself, you know, reaching out and speaking to a professional so that um, you can get some more guidance in terms of what that looks like um, and, and, and things of that sort. Yes. Thank you so much for that. So, Natasha, thank you once again for being part of this podcast. How can we stay connected with you? Your social media, website, or what have you. How can we stay in contact with you? Yes, absolutely. Um, my website, so I'm the owner of a, a practice called uh, Her Mind and Body um, Services, and her stands for heal, empower, and restore. Um, and so my website is hermindbody.com. So H-E-R, mindbody.com. Um, I'm also on Instagram. Um, it's hermind underscore body. And um, I'm also, uh, I also have um, uh, another Instagram page and it's at the reproductive therapist. Um, so those are basically the ways that you can get in contact with me. Um, I also have a, a Facebook um, support group for moms and it's called Moms Supporting Moms. Um, so if you are looking for a, a, a online um, group of moms who can support you through your journey of pregnancy or postpartum or even, you know, the latter part parts of um, stages of motherhood, um, definitely join. Um, there's almost 300 of us, but you wouldn't know that because we definitely support each other. Um, and it's, it's almost like a little family. So, um, you know, you can join that support group and, um, and yeah, so, uh, my website, if you're just looking for more information, resources, a uh, free consultation, um, hurtmindbody.com. And then again, you know, my, my Instagram pages. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you no, being okay. on. I really appreciate you being on this episode and um, giving us all these gems um, during your time with us. So I really, really appreciate it. So mm -hmm. everyone, thank you so much for tuning in and we will catch you on the next episode. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Infertility Podcast. Be sure to connect with me via social media. You can find me on Instagram at I am Danielle Joseph or on Facebook, Master Mentor and Minister. Or you can visit my website, which is www.iamdaniellejoseph.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.